please be advised that this episode involves the murder of a child. The content may be particularly distressing for listeners. Kelsey Roberts was murdered on August 5th, 2005, and this is her father's story. Hello? Hi, Steve. It's Kelly Culling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Thank you for calling. Thank you for being on the podcast. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Texas is in the south central region of the United States and is the second largest state both by area and population. Fort Worth is located in North Texas and was first established as an army outpost overlooking the Trinity River. Historically, this city has been the center of the Longhorn cattle trade. Fort Worth now has a booming restaurant sector with celebrity chef Tim Love operating several restaurants in that area. With its humid subtropical climate, it is very warm here and is susceptible to supercell thunderstorms as well as tornadoes. What was she like as a baby? Oh, she was very energetic. Uh, she really enjoyed being active. Uh, you know, growing up, she was really into her little picture books and games and and stuff like that. Uh, as an only child, you know, she kind of figured out ways to entertain herself. But her mom was also encouraging her to be sociable with other kids in the neighborhood. So as she grew older, she learned to you know how to ride her bike and. Uh, play with the neighborhood kids and you know she just uh, was a very you know uh, energetic uh, happy happy girl so she liked looking through picture books did she enjoy reading oh definitely yeah uh, she learned uh, began to learn reading fairly early probably you know pre-kindergarten we were pretty good about sitting down and going through books with her, pointing to words and, you know, helping her to understand how to pronounce words. So I, I think she was uh, probably advanced for her age early on as far as being able to read. Steve Roberts was a loving father to his only child, Kelsey. He and his beautiful daughter would spend many hours watching her favorite VCR tapes, Pocahontas, Mulan, and The Lion King. Steve would happily sit with her and read books, encouraging her love of language. It was obvious when she went to school that she was growing up in a home that encouraged learning as she was an intelligent, well-liked girl. She would come home and speak with her dad about typical preteen issues that were going on, and her father Steve was always there for her, ready to listen and give advice. This shows the close bond there was between father and daughter. Her having respect for his opinion, knowing that he loved her, and him always being readily available. As she was getting a little bit older, did she did she have anything particular she really liked to do? 
Well, at an early age, her mom put her into dance class, and so she started out learning how to do ballet, and then she went into tap for a little bit, and then uh, in uh, intermediate school, she got uh, in a dance class for hip-hop because she was starting to like that type of music, and so uh, she was uh, part of a group that would uh, take lessons once a week, and uh, she was involved in a program i guess several girls and groups uh put on a program at the end of the school year and she was in one of those groups for hip-hop oh fantastic so she was a great little dancer then yeah but she was uh, she was at the point you know kind of self-conscious at home and i didn't realize how talented she was until i actually got you know went to her uh dance uh program because she really wouldn't display her dance moves at home. I guess she was a little bit embarrassed to have her dad watch her <laughs> dancing. But, you know, so hopefully, you know, I was hoping that she would kind of overcome that as, you know, I was more exposed to her dancing, but never had that opportunity. What kinds of things did you guys like to do together? Well, initially, I'll admit you, it was somewhat challenging because uh, as she, uh, as she was growing older, I was uh, working as a consultant and traveling quite a bit. And so I would be out, not every week, but most weeks I'd be gone on a Monday, come back on a Thursday or Friday. And so most of the uh, conversations I had with her when she was able to have conversation as she grew older were, you know, brief conversations on the telephone and then come home. And, you know, since I've been absent all, all that week, it's like I need to make up for lost time. And and do as much as I can while I was at home with her and with her mom, uh, just so, you know, uh, I could have some family time with them. And, uh, because I knew that the following Monday, I'd, I'd more than likely have to be gone again. Or if I wasn't on the road, I'd be at the office working, you know, a regular working, uh, schedule. So I tried to make the most of the opportunities when I was at home. Uh, do you know, spend time with her, you know, playing games or reading to her or whatever the case may be. She liked to draw, you know, and uh, listen to music. And so I try to be as involved as I could be under the circumstances, you know, with my job. I just didn't want Kelsey to have that type of relationship with me where she'd see me come home and have a meal or two and, you know, do some you know, handyman type things during the, you know, when I'm home and then I'm off, you know, onto whatever I'm doing. I, did, I wanted her to see me as more of, more engaged in her life and her activities and, you know, be supportive of what she was doing. That's wonderful. Your daughter was very lucky to uh, to have you as a father. Yeah. You're very lucky. You know, once Kelsey entered my life that I was to be the best father I could be to her. And that's what I strive to be every day. Now, when Kelsey started school, what type of a student was she, and and what what uh, how was she? How was her relationship with her peers and her teachers? Oh, very positive, very good. You know, she was recognized as an AB student. Um, there may have been a C slip in over the years, but as for for the most part, she was either an A or a B student, and she was recognized for that by her teachers. You know, teachers always had very complimentary. Uh, uh, comments about her and her work and how she got along. You know, a couple of them said, well, she gets a little chatty at times. And, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> you know, probably because when she's home, she doesn't have a peer to have a conversation with. So that was her opportunity to have a little so-called networking with her peers at school. Tell me about what started happening with, you know, your family life or how things led up to this absolutely tragic time that you had to go through. Well, there were challenges uh, after Kelsey was born between her mother and me. And, you know, a lot of it stemmed from the parenting aspect of it and where my ex-wife felt that discipline was very critical to changing behavior. I, on the other hand, was more of, uh, okay, well, let's acknowledge that, you know, something had was not done correctly and give her an opportunity to correct it and let's not dwell on it. But her mother seemed to be a, much more of a disciplinarian than I actually she was. And when she, the, when my ex was not feeling supported by me, then it created more friction between her and me. And with me being gone, you know, away from the home and hearing about, you know, the behavior issues or whatever that she happened to have with my, with Kelsey, it's like, I felt helpless. And so, you know, when I would come home, Kelsey would either be in her bedroom with all of the toys taken out of her room because her mom would do that. You know, you know, she would lose privileges like not being able to watch TV or listen to the radio or go outside and play with friends. And it just seemed to be too much, you know, for, uh, you know, that's not how I was raised. You know, I made mistakes. Every, everybody makes mistakes, but, to be able to learn from those mistakes, I don't think to punish somebody for what I thought was very minor uh, incidents, uh, I, I just didn't feel that was the correct approach. These vast differences began to cause struggles in their marriage. Steve would speak to Kelsey's mother, however, she always shut him down immediately. They began counseling to try and work things through as Steve believed strongly in his marriage vow till death do us part. Kelsey's mom started to threaten divorce when Steve would disagree with anything. When Kelsey was getting ready for her first communion, her mom told Steve that none of his family could come, that if he even sent out one invitation to them, she would call off the first communion. He couldn't even invite his parents. Steve said that he would abide by this very hurtful condition as long as they went to a marriage retreat, believing that the marriage was more important than his parents attending his daughter's ceremony. He was very committed. He felt sure they would begin to reconnect at a retreat, learn ways to communicate more effectively, learn coping mechanisms. Things were slightly better when they got back, and Steve felt hopeful. Unfortunately, things soon went back to the way they were before. And Steve began speaking to his priest and friends about what was going on. And they all prompted him at this point to file for divorce, as it now seemed as though it was the only option for Kelsey to have a stable household. There was no physical abuse. Child protection had never been called. But Steve knew that it would be best for Kelsey to live with him full-time, to see her father back to the happy person he had always been, but was unable to be in the current environment. 
without all of the stress of constant worry about his wife's behavior. It would be a healthier environment. He thought long and hard about waiting until Kelsey graduated from high school. But finally, he went to see a divorce lawyer to learn what to do. The lawyer too encouraged him to ask for full custody. This is the story of Kelsey Roberts' murder. It was a difficult decision for me to make, and it took quite some time. You know, I, I knew that there were trouble, there was trouble in the marriage for quite some time, but you know, I felt like for for Kelsey's uh, sake that the best environment for her to be raised in was with two parents. Uh, but then it just got to be so difficult to continue in that environment, and so I felt guilty about leaving the marriage because you know my parents were married. 57 years, I think, before both of them passed. You know, they've never been through a divorce. And, you know, they had their issues. But, you know, every married couple has issues uh, at some point. And uh, so, you know, I felt bad about, you know, taking vows until death do us part and, you know, having to, you know, uh, look at an alternative to, to marriage to raise Kelsey. So... And then I also had concerns about her mother's behavior, how that would affect her mom if I were to leave the marriage. When someone has controlling behavior, it affects every decision that is made and nothing seems to help. Steve worked so hard to save his marriage, to have Kelsey grow up in the two-parent family that he had envisioned and wanted. He was an amazing father, a loving husband who wanted nothing but peace and happiness in their home. He was being put in an incredibly difficult position. They moved often throughout their marriage, living in homes that were custom-built to Kelsey's mother's specifications. Once living there within a few weeks or months, she would insist they move because she had a fear of scorpions in one or didn't like the gated golf course community for another or didn't like a neighbor. Kelsey's father, Steve, had to ask for transfers through his employer, who he feels blessed to have had on his side. And he always moved, thinking this is the right thing to do. Keep the peace in the marriage. Please your wife. Make the marriage work. All of these behaviors took its toll on Steve. I was actually looking for, you know, an attorney to have a consultation with to figure out how to go about the divorce proceedings since I hadn't been through one before. And uh, when I told the attorney what was going on, uh, he recommended I have primary custody of Kelsey. So, you know, once I filed for divorce, both sides wanted to have primary custody. So we had to go through a custody evaluation and talk to a psychologist. He ran some tests on both of us and also spoke to Kelsey, and then he put together a report that was used for our mediation hearing. And, uh, you know, the ultimate decision was continue to have, uh, you know, the joint custody uh, arrangement in place. But he also indicated that Kelsey should have liberal access to both parents. So, uh, you know, he he indicated uh, some concern about uh, her answer, my ex-wife's answers to the test that was uh, given to her felt like she was uh, painting, you know, portraying herself as a highly virtuous person where 
you know, everything she did was correct. You know, there was never any issues with her decision making and stuff like that. So, you know, I just felt like I did all I could at that point to uh, argue my case for having primary custody. But ultimately, you know, we continued joint custody. You know, early on, Kelsey would come to, you know, stay a week with me. I had a rent house close to the school that she was attending. So she would come over and, you know, she, I would pick her up from, from her mom's house and she would be chatty initially, tell me how she was doing and stuff like that. But then as uh, time went on for a few months, it seemed like uh, she was having a little more of an issue. And I think it was driven by her mom because, you know, within, uh, you know, an evening or 24 hours of Kelsey staying with me, she would, you know, calm back down. But initially I'd pick her up and she would, uh, as soon as she'd get in my car, she'd say, don't talk to me. I don't want to talk to you. You know, she'd just be very, uh, you know, upset, but she wouldn't tell me why. And I don't know if things were said between her and her mom before she got in my car. I never did probe. I didn't want to be that type of parent where, you know, trying to get information from their child about their, you know, ex or whatever. So I just kind of, you know, I was there for Kelsey if she wanted to talk, but I wasn't going to try. I wasn't going to say, well, is your mom talking about me? Or, you know, I, I wasn't going to do that and I never did. And you can see she's becoming more, you know, you know, sort of agitated when she gets in the car and it takes some time for her to feel comfortable. Did she at all start talking about her mother's mental state or did you notice like a, a, a big deterioration after the divorce uh, had started? Well, uh, you know, before the mediation hearing, I remember there was an incident where her mom, I don't know what was said, but. Uh, for whatever reason, Kelsey told me that she was going to tear up all the pictures that she had of me at her mom's house. And, you know, she did. Uh, but there was obviously things that Kelsey was being told. And I can't tell you exactly what she was being told. Uh, one day, just on a whim, we went to a sporting goods store and uh, you know, went through the area where they had fishing gear and I thought you know it was pretty neat when I learned how to fish you know the first time I wonder if Kelsey would be interested in doing that too and so I asked her you know if we bought a, a fishing pole would you be interested in, in going fishing and her eyes lit up like it was Christmas morning he said oh yeah let's do this and I thought well maybe she'd want a Barbie rod and reel but no she went for a, a more uh, you know useful type of rod and reel so that became our thing. We would go to a neighborhood pond and go fishing. And, you know, pretty much the moment I would pick her up from her mom, it's like, are we going fishing today? You know, that was, that was it. You know, we connected that way. Did uh, Kelsey ever catch something really big and exciting or, or what happened with the fishing for her? Well, as I recall, uh, she didn't catch anything the first time it went out, but the second time she did. And I thought, uh, you know, Let's call her uh, godfather, who happens to live in Atlanta. So I remember she was just all, all excited about telling her uh, uh, godfather about catching the fish. And, you know, so that became, you know, a pretty regular occurrence. We would at least one day during the weekend of her staying with me go out and 
try to catch perch. Those were that was the the favored fish, I guess, in the ponds where we lived near. And I think on occasion she almost caught a turtle. And I thought, no, we don't want to try to catch a turtle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They're so hard to get off the hook. <laughs> so uh, I, I think it became a you know source of laughter for her to see a turtle kind of swimming towards the bobber. And I thought, <laughs> no, no, we don't need that. That's right. Oh. That's so fun. That's really fun. I'm glad that uh, that she enjoyed that with you and that she was so excited about it that, you know, calling her godfather made her happy to tell the story. That's really nice. And as it turns out, 15 years ago today uh, was our a vacation trip that has a lot of, you know, good memories for me. And uh, my dad uh, and she and I went out on a boat, and my parents lived up in northwest Arkansas near a, a pretty good-sized lake. And so, you know, we got my dad's boat. We went out away from the dock and, you know, threw our lines out in the water. And that day, Kelsey caught four bass. Wow. And, uh, you know, bass, bass are quite a bit bigger than perch. And she was just so excited. She was having the time of her life. I mean, we were just, you know, just having the, the greatest time and much better than going to an amusement park. I'll tell you that. Word of mouth is such a powerful tool. So please help us to reach as many listeners as possible and tell a friend and let them know that we can be found on their favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our Facebook group, Morning the Murdered. I want to send a big thank you out there to all of our supporters. You can donate to the Morning the Murdered podcast through Patreon or PayPal at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thanks so much for your generosity. And now back to the show. Tell us about the tragedy that happened. Uh, well, on August 5th, 2005, it'll be, you know, 15 years next week. Um, it was my day to pick up Kelsey from her mom's and I had worked in my office that day. And, you know, the pickup time is 6 p.m. So I left my office, you know, in time to be at her mom's house. And I was always picking up uh, Kelsey at her mom's house and they were both would always wait for me outside in their yard. And so I arrived at the house and they weren't outside, but her mother's car was in the driveway. So I thought, okay, I wonder what's going on. So I went to the door and I also tried to contact my ex-wife on her cell phone, which, you know, the call went to voicemail. So I went to the door, rang the doorbell, no answer, you know, tried the door uh, to see if it was unlocked. It was locked. So I, didn't know what to do other than to call one of my ex-wife's friends. I had her phone number, called her, asked her if she had heard from my ex-wife that day. And she said that she had spoken to her the day before, but not that particular day. I said, well, I'm at their house. It was my, you know, I'm, I was there to pick up Kelsey and I, you know, they're not responding to a phone call or, you know, and the doorbell. And so unbeknownst to me, the friend had a key to the house. Uh, my ex-wife's phone and so she drove over it took her about 20 minutes to get to the house in the meantime I called my attorney told him you know something's not right 
and I wanted to uh, go ahead and call the police. He said, well, just wait for the friend to show up, and then we'll figure out what we need to do from there. So uh, the friend showed up, let herself into the house. I stayed outside, and then within a couple of minutes, the friend came back out of the house, and I approached her on the driveway, and uh, she immediately told me to call 911. So I did. But when I made contact with the operator, I really didn't know what to tell the, the operator. So I gave the phone to the friend and went inside the house and found my daughter, Kelsey, at her bedroom doorway. And she was unresponsive to me calling her name. And, you know, I was only in the house for a minute or so before the friend yelled at me from outside. I needed to come outside. and. So I'm looking at Kelsey thinking, I've got to do something. And so I yelled back to friends, shouldn't I try CPR, do something? Because Kelsey just wasn't responding. And the friend said, no, you need to come outside now. And so I did. And within a few minutes, the first responders arrived. Um, and so they went into the home and, you know, we were directed to stay outside the friend of me. And, you know, sooner, you know, later on, my attorney showed up, you know, and then, you know, gradually there are more and more police officers there and I just didn't know what was going on. It became this, you know, surreal environment I've never experienced before. And, uh, you know, I would occasionally talk, go approach my attorney, ask him what's going on. You know, after a few minutes uh, of talking to him, my ex-wife came out on a stretcher on a gurney. Her face was visible. Her eyes were closed. And she was transported away in an ambulance. And so I thought, okay, what's this is just not, this is too weird. I just don't know, understand what's going on. And nobody would really tell me anything. Uh, the police, the first responders, my attorney, nobody, you know, they would evade as much as they could any questions that I had for them. And so, you know, I don't know how much time it took, but, you know, there was another police officer that arrived and it happened to be the, uh, the department's chaplain and so when he I, I noticed out of the corner of my eye that he was talking to one of his officers and then you know he turned and looked at me and then he approached me and you know he, <laughs> sorry he came to me and said Mr. Roberts uh, there's no easy for me to, me to no easy way for me to tell you this, but your daughter is dead. Um, so what happened after that was I made a, a, several phone calls to family to notify them. But again, I didn't know what happened. Um, and then, you know, after I was notified, uh, an officer said he wanted to talk to me. and so. You know, I lived four blocks away in the same neighborhood. So uh, we agreed to go to my house. And so uh, the officer took a statement from me while I was at my home. And uh, then shortly after that, uh, one of my aunts had also come to my home. So uh, she took me to her house and I spent the night with her. And then the following Monday, because was killed on a Friday, uh, I was called back to the police department or called to the police department. That's when I learned about a suicide note. Uh, my ex had carved a, a note into the 
tabletop of her dining room table and it made reference to the breakup of the marriage, how she wanted one more chance, how Kelsey would always be in one place and she would rather go to hell than live like this. And that was all carved into the dining room table with a knife. So, you know, at that point, uh, it was determined that my ex-wife had killed Kelsey and, and then she attempted to take her own life afterwards. And that's why she had been taken out of the house on a stretcher because there was blood loss from a wound to her wrist. And she had also taken a large quantity of Ambien, which uh, caused her to uh, be in a deep sleep when the first responders arrived. This horribly tragic and devastating murder was all over the TV news, front page in the newspaper, broadcasting how a mother killed her child. While people were reading about Kelsey, her father Steve was making funeral arrangements and learning the details of his loving, caring, wonderful daughter, his only child's murder. Kelsey's mother wrapped a sheet around her daughter's face until she stopped moving stopped breathing, was dead. She then tried to kill herself, but not being successful, was arrested when she came out of her unconscious state. The toxicology report came back that Kelsey had Ambien in her system. It seems her mother drugged her food. Kelsey had been murdered between noon and two, only a few hours before Steve came to pick up his precious 11-year-old daughter. What father is prepared to write an obituary about their child? You know, it, 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 all of these things were thrown at me. I just, I didn't know what to do. So fortunately, I had my parents and my aunt there. Otherwise, I would have been totally lost. My life completely changed. Um, August 5th, 2005. It's just, who could have imagined? You know, a mom killing her own child. And there's nothing I could have done to save Kelsey other than, you know, I, I carried guilt with me for a long time that I didn't convince the, the psychologist that Kelsey should stay with me because of the concern I had for her mom and how she would be so uh, reactive, you know, how she would respond to stress. You know, I you know, made the comment, mountains out of molehills, certain you know, little things would become huge issues with her mom. The extreme guilt Steve felt was intense. He worked so hard to be sure his marriage was intact, and then realizing he couldn't stay for Kelsey's sake to ensure her happiness, that she grew up carefree, enjoying each day. He also reported that psychologist that had said they should have joint custody the psychologist had said that Kelsey's mom showed high degrees of virtuous behavior after having completed his report, but never did any further testing. Steve wanted to ensure that no other parent would live through the same horrifically painful loss he had due to negligence. The psychologist was investigated, but it was deemed that he had done everything according to standards. 
you couldn't have predicted any of this, obviously, even, you know, she's, she's saying these things, but who would ever suspect that? And obviously, had you have suspected anything more heinous than her just verbally spewing nonsense about you, you wouldn't have, you know, had Kelsey sitting in that home. So, I mean, obviously, you, you did everything you could. Yeah, there were never incidents, any incidents in which uh, Child Protective Services was called out to the home. You know, there were never incidents of any physical harm that was done to Kelsey. Um, nothing like that. No reports uh, as far as, uh, you know, any domestic abuse type situations going on. So this was completely out of out of left field, basically, uh, how she responded. You know, the following Monday was the first day of school. I, I neglected to mention that, but, you know, so, you know, that day, the, the day that Kelsey was killed, she was to have met her homeroom teacher, and then the following Monday was the first day of school. Well, instead, as I learned, uh, they had grief counselors at the school for the kids, Oh. You know, that we're expect- expecting to see Kelsey in sixth grade, and she wasn't there. Oh, my goodness. That is, I mean, there's no words that can convey someone's complete and utter uh, sadness for you. There's nothing somebody can say. You know, fortunately, I was able to see a grief counselor for uh, three, or, three or so years, you know, on a somewhat regular basis. And in addition to that, I found support groups uh you know, a couple were recommended to me, and some for homicide, some for loss of a child, they, you know, regardless of cause of death. So it was good for me to uh, maybe initially not talk about what happened, but hear other people talk about, you know, their children, you know, cause of death, uh, how they've dealt with the loss over the years. So unfortunately, there are organizations that I didn't even know existed before Kelsey was killed, but they were there for me then. And uh, I I just don't know what I would do without them as well. Did you find that, um, you know, when you're I mean, going through this, this tragic time and did you, did you feel just for people who may need some, some experienced uh, person who's grieved a horrible tragedy Grief counseling one-on-one versus group counseling combined, several different groups. What is what is your take on that, and what would you recommend to other people? Well, particularly for me, I I uh, benefited from both. You know, the one-on-one was definitely important. A lot of it was pre-trial questions because I, you know, the uncertainty what what's going what's going to happen, and so the grief counselor actually I think had been a reporter for a local newspaper. So she was really into the investigative gathering information. So she was very helpful from that aspect. So it wasn't just a hundred percent. How am I doing, how to deal with the loss? It was, I've got so many questions about what to expect, you know, with the uh, murder trial and all of that. So, because there was a trial Um, and uh, you know, so that was very helpful. And then just, you know, feeling, you know, going over, my difficulties in dealing with the loss, how I'm doing personally, you know, sleeping, not sleeping, you know, focus, being able to concentrate, not concentrating, you know, how I was dealing in the workplace, stuff like that. Any concerns I might have had, you know, when I come home from work I, for the first year, I, 
you know, as soon as I came into my house, I'd be crying because it was an empty, quiet home. And, you know, I was used to at least, you know, every other week hearing, you know, a, a young child say daddy, you know, and share with their, what they went through that day. And, you know, coming home to silence, that was probably the worst thing that, that I could have been doing. So the grief support groups and grief counseling, that was very critical for my healing process to be able to go somewhere and not necessarily have a whole lot to say, but at least be among other people that knew what I was feeling. Journaling has helped Steve. In the beginning, he didn't think it would. He was never a writer and particularly not about feelings. It helped a lot though. In the beginning months after the murder, it feels like the days passed and nothing got done and your swirling brain can't focus or remember. If you write one thing that you did that day in your journal, you can look back and see that you accomplished something. And tomorrow is another day. Writing a letter to your child is very helpful as well. You can write what you want them to know, all the jumbled thoughts going on in your head. It helps to make them clear when they are written down in a more orderly fashion you can start to make some sense of them. This helped Kelsey's father a lot. Tell me about the trial. What what happened after the tragedy you lived through and, and what happened with um, your ex-wife and the trial? Well, uh, when she regained consciousness and, you know, uh, was taken to county jail, she sat in county jail for a period of time before a defense attorney was appointed to her and they pled not guilty by reason of insanity. And so there was ultimately a trial. The trial was almost a year to the day after Kelsey's murder. Uh, it was an, uh, a two and a half day trial before a verdict was reached. They, the, the jury was selected on a Monday. The trial began on a Tuesday morning. Uh, the, the jury reached a, a verdict on Thursday afternoon, and then they recessed and came back on Friday morning for the sentencing phase. And in Texas, the jury also determines the sentence. And so, uh, you know, they made a, a decision. You know, the sentence could have ranged, uh, the range of the sentence was five to 99 years. I, I don't understand how somebody convicted of murder could have gotten five years, but anyway, in my, my ex-wife's case, you know, the maximum sentence was 99 years. And, uh, as it turned out, I met a juror uh, a year or two after the trial and, uh, visited with the juror and she said that uh, all of the jurors except one wanted to impose the maximum sentence of 99 years. There was one holdout. And so they decided that they would just count down the years. And uh, when it got to 80 years, that final juror agreed to that, to 80-year sentence. You know, I don't want people to, you know, have this anger or, uh, you know, feelings of revenge toward the person who happened to be my ex-wife who murdered Kelsey. But, you know... Maybe by hearing my story, uh, it will help them realize, okay, well, he's dealt with 
some pretty heavy stuff in his life. And, you know, somehow he's able to go out and laugh and have fun and, you know, travel, do whatever, you know, vacation trips, stuff like that. But, you know, Kelsey's always with me in my spirit. So I feel like wherever I am, she's with me as well. And that's, that's, you know, somewhat soothing to know that even though she's not here physically, that I can't have a conversation with her. I know spiritually she's with me wherever I am. And that, that kind of helps me every day. Murder in Texas gives you a maximum of 30 years that you stay in prison or half of your sentence, whichever is less. Kelsey's mother was 50 when she was sentenced for this heinous crime. She received 80 years, but will only serve 30. She will be out when she is 80 years old. As Kelsey's father became a witness, he was not allowed in the courtroom during the proceedings, except when he testified twice and during the opening and sentencing phase. Years later, he went back to get the court transcripts for when he is ready to read what had been said during his daughter's murder trial. Unfortunately, the transcripts were gone. There had been no hard copy, and the computer long ago lost all of its information. His sisters had been in the courtroom and had taken notes, so when he is ready, he can read their comments. There is no expiration date on grief. Kelsey's father, Steve, has learned to do great things in his daughter's memory. He will continue to do so. He wants his daughter to be remembered. Steve is one of the heroes out there, living through an unimaginable horror and still thinking of others. Doing good. Finding the balance between living his life and being happy and grieving for his innocent 11-year-old baby. Giving back to the community. Being sure awareness is made for others struggling and are finding it hard to breathe so they know where to turn for help. He is someone that others can strive to be like. And Steve, Kelsey will be remembered here forever. Another aspect of dealing with my grief was I, I didn't want Kelsey's death to be in vain. And, you know, within a day or two after uh, d- discovering her death, it's like, I, I don't want her to be forgotten. And so I uh, decided I would do a scholarship in her memory and uh, at the high school that she would have attended. So I did some fundraising, did some car washes where I had some friends help me, you know, for an afternoon one day and, you know, wash cars, raise a little money that way. And then over the years, I've found some other ways to raise money. So I awarded scholarships for about six years, I think, about you know, $30,000, $40,000 worth of scholarships. So, you know, and I would do the award at the uh, senior uh, seniors uh, uh, event where they were, uh, you know, given awards for or scholarships for going on to college. So that I, I thought that was good. That helped me get out, talk to other people about uh, Kelsey, and you know, trying to make something good out of you know something positive out of a negative you know experience. 
That's amazing. I mean, that is amazing that you did that. I, I really am happy to hear that. And those kids receiving those scholarships must have been thankful as well. But what a wonderful and beautiful tribute to your daughter. That's really lovely. Good for you. You know, the scholarship, you know, I did it until her senior year. And now it's like, well, I really don't have a connection with that school. Kelsey wrote a story in school a memory that made her happy. It was about Brad the Tadpole. It was a sweltering hot day the day she and her dad found Brad, and Kelsey saved this tadpole from the extreme heat. She brought him home. Kelsey and her dad, Steve, went to the pet store and learned how to care for Brad. And Kelsey took great care of the little guy. Steve remembers that day fondly. What a sweetheart Kelsey was. So take care and thank you again for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you very much as well. Okay. Okay, bye bye. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face to face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, When someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain But surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Mourning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at mourningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.